Well, as you've been hearing in the news, Jackson Prosco, who is in Turkey, has been reporting on the search effort that is continuing, as well as what people are seeing on the streets after that devastating earthquake. Earlier today, we uh, witnessed a man standing uh, in the street crying over the bodies of his son and daughter, and he couldn't find anyone to collect their bodies. They had been lying in the street for hours. He could not find anyone to take their remains away. And trapped beneath this rubble, Uh, are are countless others who perish. Their bodies are still there. It is impossible to retrieve the remains. It is nearly impossible for rescue crews to get access to what lies beneath. Still, based on that miraculous rescue earlier today, they are holding out hope. Across the country, there have been several hundred live rescues over the past few days. Of course, the odds of finding people alive continue to diminish minute by minute in this cold and in this weather, but crews are certainly not giving up hope. And he mentioned that miraculous rescue that took place earlier and the connection to the crews from Burnaby. This scene stretches for block after block after block. There are hundreds of rescue workers working at dozens and dozens of collapsed buildings. A short time ago, a group of firefighters from Burnaby, British Columbia, was actually partaking in a rescue, and they were able to pull a woman alive who'd been trapped beneath the rubble for the past five days. That is a remarkable feat, a remarkable scene. Uh, They were joined by aid workers and rescue workers from multiple countries taking part in this uh, exercise. So joining us now to talk more about this is Scott Murchison. He is a director with the Burnaby Urban Search and Rescue Team, not on the ground right now, but Scott has certainly been to earthquake zones in the past. Scott, thank you so much for being with us to talk more about this today. Not a problem. This is certainly, uh, as people are watching with horror in a lot of cases at what's happening in Turkey and Syria, we know that members of the the Burnaby team and Burnaby firefighters are in that region. They've been taking part in just some amazing rescues and recoveries. What can you tell us about the work that they're doing there? Well, right now they're just in Adiyaman. Um, they've been searching now. This is the, going on their third day. They're just about to deploy on a night operation right now. Um, today, working with a few other teams, we had some great success, and uh, the rescuers were able to get someone out of a building actually alive, which is unbelievable. And the cheers, I think, and just seeing the relief. So the woman that they they were able to pull out of that rubble, um, so, so she's been there the whole time. That just seems so extraordinary that somebody would be able to survive that long in that debris from an earthquake. Yeah, it's pretty amazing uh, what people can, can do. Um, I believe she was there for about 100 hours and... Uh, they were able to locate her with some dogs previous to us getting there. And then there was a few Turkish volunteers around and some other search teams. And um, basically when they were there, um, they hit a pinpoint with one of the dogs from the Mexican team and called us over. And the, um, the Turkish people down there kind of knew the layout of the building and so they had started uh, digging and trying to get through to them. And then we assisted them with giving them some of our tools and some lighting to cut rebar and go through some concrete. And so they ended up getting her out while we just uh, supported them. What does that do for the morale of the team as well, in that they must be seeing things that, that 
thankfully, many of us can only imagine. But dealing with that kind of loss and the death toll that we're now seeing there to to make that rescue and to find someone still alive. What does that do for the team? I can tell you after talking to them today, they were just elated with uh, the results of today. And they just want to get right back out there right away. Um, dealing with being in a disaster zone, you know that you're just there trying to help as much as you can and work with all the teams around and work under uh, the government there and uh, just do our best to get people out. So it is difficult to deal with that, especially seeing family members. They were telling me um, outside of collapsed buildings and uh, wanting them to help um, so yeah, it's very difficult, but it's uh, rewarding, and it's just uh, something that we do. We go there, and we really just try to give it our best and lend a hand in any way possible that we can. And when you say family members asking for help, that's got to be so difficult because there must be situations where it's not safe to go in, and family members are there begging people to go in and try and find loved ones, but it's simply not possible? So basically, we use all the resources that we have. Um, we have search cameras and um, acoustic sounding devices. And uh, so what we're trying to do is find uh, targets that have been previous, previously identified or try and identify them ourselves. But we're trying to get to the most uh, viable people that might possibly still be alive after being being there for 100 hours. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult to survive for that amount of time. And it's interesting. So when you talk about the equipment, so it's not kind of going in blind and thinking, well, maybe there's there's someone in this building or there's there's a chance here. It really is that kind of high tech equipment. So crews know where to focus and, and whether or not it's 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 it would be the right choice to go into to a certain area. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work in gaining information, doing risk assess- assessments and then trying to stabilize the scene so that we're safe and everyone around us is safe as well. And it's just basically working with the people that are there. And uh, just we do have some high-tech equipment, but it's a lot of just hard work. And uh, we just try and lend a hand wherever we can. I know there's been challenges as well with the temperature. It's been very cold. And uh, like you said, working into the night, uh, how, how do crews deal with that and, and still keep going on and continuing with the searches? Well, we're constantly moving, making sure that we're fueled as we go, getting a tiny bit of rest whenever we can. Um, we just keep going. And uh, I think you keep going because you see the people around you that are actually affected by this and they're the ones that are really in the in the strife, and we're just going to try and work as hard as we can while we're there to help them out. How long will the crew stay there? Uh, they'll be up be there until possibly the 14th or 15th. And, and with the training that goes into this, how long have the the members of this team trained? I know you, you mentioned some other operations as well, but what kind of training goes into this to make sure you are able to use the equipment and you, and you can go into this area and uh, and know exactly what you're doing and again not put anybody in danger? Um, we have urban search training. We have um, technical search training, technical rescue training. Um, there's just a lot of things that go into it and then like put, putting in place a command system as well and just making sure that everything's safe when we, when we're going in there. Um, a lot of the crews are quite experienced. Some have been to the earthquakes in Nepal in 2015. Uh, some have been to the Bahamas during the hurricane there in 2019. 
and there's a couple previous ones, but yeah. I, re- I remember, I think, talking to somebody on the team or or covering a bit of the deployment to Nepal. And, and I would imagine, too, having been on a, a mission like that, d- does that help you better prepare for what they'll be dealing with right now in Turkey? Or is everyone completely different? I think every situation is different and you just have to be dy- dynamic in those situations and just work with all the teams around you and just um, give it your best effort wherever you are. And and so at this point, then, I know you've been keeping in touch with the crews on the ground. And again, that miraculous rescue of the woman who'd been there for, like you said, up to 100 hours. I know there were some reports that they thought that at that point when they when they rescued her, that there was possibly another person still alive in that rubble in that same area. But like you said, too, it's it's pretty amazing that that there are still survivors. So at, at what point do they kind of shift what they're doing and and it does become more of a recovery mission uh, i'm not i can't really speak to that i'm not exactly sure how long um the authorities there will keep going on their rescues but as long as there's still people around they'll keep working when they they're in the midst of this and they're they're doing this so whose call is it then as far as so that they will stay there and keep working and stay deployed and and keep searching we're working under an emergency operations center and afad it's um a the Turkish oversight for emergency response. Um, so it's totally their call. We're just there to lend a hand wherever we can, and we'll do whatever we can to help them out. All right, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. It's just amazing work, all the crews and everybody who has gone there to help out. So thank you so much for bringing us up to date on this. Okay, thanks a lot. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.